Book 15, Chapter 3 of the Antiquities of the Jews, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bill Mosley. The Antiquities of the Jews, Volume 3 by Flavius Josephus. Translated by William Whiston. Book 15, Chapter 3 How Herod, upon his making Aristobulus high priest, took care that he should be murdered in a little time, and what apology he made to Antony about Aristobulus, as also concerning Joseph and Mariamne. So King Herod immediately took the high priesthood away from Ananellus, who, as we said before, was not of this country, but one of those Jews that had been carried captive beyond Euphrates. For there were not a few ten thousands of this people that had been carried captives, and dwelt about Babylonia, whence Ananellus came. He was one of the stock of the high priests, and had been of old a particular friend of Herod, and when he was first made king, he conferred that dignity upon him, and now put him out of it again, in order to quiet the troubles in his family, though what he did was plainly unlawful, for at no other time of old was any one that had once been in that dignity deprived of it. It was Antiochus Epiphanes who first broke that law, and deprived Jesus, and made his brother Onias, high priest, in his stead. Aristobulus was the second that did so, and took that dignity from his brother Hyrcanus. And this Herod was the third, who took that high office away from Arianflus, and gave it to this young man, Aristobulus, in his stead. And now Herod seemed to have healed the division in his family. Yet was he not without suspicion as is frequently the case, of people seeming to be reconciled to one another, but thought that, as Alexandra had already made attempts tending to innovations, so did he fear that she would go on therein if she found a fit opportunity for so doing. So he gave a command that she should dwell in the palace and meddle with no public affairs. Her guards also were so careful that nothing she did in private life every day was concealed. All these hardships put her out of patience. By little and little, and she began to hate Herod. For as she had the pride of a woman to the utmost degree, she had great indignation at this suspicious guard that was about her as desirous rather to undergo anything that could befall her than to be deprived of her liberty of speech and under the notion of an honorary guard to live in a state of slavery and terror. She therefore sent to Cleopatra and made a long complaint of the circumstances she was in and entreated her to do her utmost for her assistance. Cleopatra hereupon advised her to take her son with her and come away immediately to her into Egypt. This advice pleased her. She had this contrivance for getting away. She got two coffins made, 
as if they were to carry away two dead bodies, and put herself into one, and her son into the other, and gave orders to such of her servants as knew of her intentions, to carry them away in the night-time. Now their road was to be thence to the seaside, and there was a ship ready to carry them into Egypt. Now Aesop, one of her servants, happened to fall upon Sabion, one of her friends, and spake of this matter to him, as thinking he had known of it before. When Sabion knew this, who had formerly been an enemy of Herod, and been esteemed one of those that laid snares for and gave the poison to his father Antipater, he expected that this discovery would change Herod's hatred into kindness. So he told the king of this private stratagem of Alexandra, whereupon he suffered her to proceed to the execution of her project, and caught her in the very fact. But still he passed by her offense, and though he had a great mind to do it, he durst not inflict anything that was severe upon her, for he knew that Cleopatra would not bear that he should have her accused on account of her hatred to him, but made a show as if it were rather the generosity of his soul and his great moderation that made him forgive them. However, he fully proposed to himself to put this young man out of the way by one means or other, but he thought he might in probability be better concealed in doing it if he did it not presently nor immediately after what had lately happened. And now upon the approach of the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a festival very much observed among us, he let those days pass over, and both he and the rest of the people were therein very merry. Yet did the envy which at this time arose in him cause him to make haste to do what he was about, and provoke him to it. For when this youth Aristobulus, who was now in the seventeenth year of his age, went up to the altar according to the law, to offer the sacrifices, and this with the ornaments of his high priesthood, and when he performed the sacred offices, he seemed to be exceedingly comely, and taller than men usually were at that age, and to exhibit in his countenance a great deal of that high family he was sprung from, a warm zeal and affection towards him appeared among the people and the memory of the actions of his grandfather Aristobulus was fresh in their minds, and their affections got so far the mastery of them that they could not forbear to show their inclinations to him. They at once rejoiced, and were confounded, and mingled with good wishes their joyful acclamations which they made to him, till the good will of the multitude was made to evidence and they more rashly proclaimed the happiness they had received from his family than was fit under a monarchy to have done. Upon all this, Herod resolved to complete what he had intended against the young man. When, therefore, the festival was over, and he was feasting at Jericho with Alexandra, who entertained them there, he was then very pleasant with the young man, and drew him into a lonely place, and at the same time played with him in a juvenile and ludicrous manner. 
Now the nature of that place was hotter than ordinary, so they went out in a body, and of a sudden, and in a vein of madness, and as they stood by the fish-ponds of which there were large ones about the house, they went to cool themselves by bathing, because it was in the midst of a hot day. At first they were only spectators of Herod's servants and acquaintance as they were swimming, but after a while the young man, at the instigation of Herod, went into the water among them, while such of Herod's acquaintance as he had appointed to do it, dipped him as he was swimming, and plunged him under water in the dark of the evening, as if it had been done in sport only, nor did they desist till he was entirely suffocated. And thus was Aristobulus murdered, having lived no more in all than eighteen years, and kept the high priesthood one year only, which high priesthood Ananelus now recovered again. When this sad accident was told the women, their joy was soon changed to lamentation at the sight of the dead body that lay before them, and their sorrow was immoderate. The city also of Jerusalem, upon the spreading of this news, were in very great grief, every family looking on this calamity as if it had not belonged to another, but that one of themselves was slain. But Alexandra was more deeply affected upon her knowledge that he had been destroyed on purpose. Her sorrow was greater than that of others, by her knowing how the murder was committed. But she was under the necessity of bearing up under it, out of her prospect of a greater mischief that might otherwise follow, and she oftentimes came to an inclination to kill herself with her own hand. But still she restrained herself, in hopes she might live long enough to revenge the unjust murder thus privately committed. Nay, she further resolved to endeavor to live longer, and to give no occasion to think she suspected that her son was slain on purpose, and supposed that she might thereby be in a capacity of revenging it at a proper opportunity. Thus did she restrain herself that she might not be noted for entertaining any such suspicion. However, Herod endeavored that none abroad should believe that the child's death was caused by any design of his, and for this purpose he did not only use the ordinary signs of sorrow, but fell into tears also, and exhibited a real confusion of soul, and perhaps his affections were overcome on this occasion when he saw the child's countenance so young and so beautiful, although his death was supposed to tend to his own security. So far at least this grief served as to make some apology for him, and as for his funeral, that he took care should be very magnificent, by making great preparation for a sepulchre to lay his body in, and providing a great quantity of spices, and burying many ornaments together with him, till the very women who were in such deep sorrow were astonished at it, and received in this way some consolation. However, no such things could overcome Alexandra's grief. 
but the remembrance of this miserable case made her sorrow both deep and obstinate accordingly she wrote an account of this treacherous scene to cleopatra and how her son was murdered but cleopatra as she had formerly been desirous to give her what satisfaction she could and commiserating alexandra's misfortunes made the case her own and would not let antony be quiet but excited him to punish the child's murderer for that it was an unworthy thing that herod who had been by him made king of a kingdom that no way belonged to him should be guilty of such horrid crimes against those that were of the royal blood in reality antony was persuaded by these arguments and when he came to laodicea he sent and commanded herod to come back and make his defense as to what he had done to aristobulus for that such a treacherous design was not well done if he had any hand in it herod was now in fear both of the accusation and of cleopatra's ill-will to him which was such that she was ever endeavoring to make antony hate him he therefore determined to obey his summons for he had no possible way to avoid it so he left his uncle joseph procurator for his government and for the public affairs and gave him a private charge that if antony should kill him he also should kill mariamne immediately for that he had a tender affection for this his wife and was afraid of the injury that she should be offered him if after his death she for her beauty should be engaged to some other man but his intimation was nothing but this at the bottom that antony had fallen in love with her when he had formerly heard somewhat of her beauty so when herod had given joseph this charge and he had indeed no sure hopes of escaping with his life he went away to antony but as joseph was administering the public affairs of the kingdom and for that reason was very frequently with mariamne both because his business required it and because of the respects he ought to pay to the queen he frequently let himself into discourses about herod's kindness and great affection towards her and when the women especially alexandra used to turn his discourses into feminine raillery joseph was so over-desirous to demonstrate the king's inclinations that he proceeded so far as to mention the charge he had received and thence drew his demonstration that herod was not able to live without her that if he should come to any ill end he could not endure a separation from her even after he was dead thus spake joseph but the women as was natural did not take this to be an instance of herod's strong affection for them but of his severe usage of them that they could not escape destruction nor a tyrannical death even when he was dead himself and this saying of joseph was a foundation for the women's severe suspicions about him afterwards at this time a report went about the city jerusalem among herod's enemies that antony had tortured herod and put him to death this report as is natural disturbed those that were about the palace but chiefly the women 
upon which Alexandra endeavored to persuade Joseph to go out of the palace and fly away with them to the ensigns of the Roman legion, which then lay encamped about the city as a guard to the kingdom under the command of Julius, for that by this means, if any disturbance should happen about the palace, they should be in greater security, as having the Romans favorable to them, and that besides they hoped to obtain the highest authority if Antony did but once see Mariamne, by whose means they should recover the kingdom, and want nothing which was reasonable for them to hope for because of their royal extraction. But as they were in the midst of these deliberations, letters were brought from Herod about all his affairs, and proved contrary to the report, and of what they before expected. For when he was come to Antony, he soon recovered his interest with him, by the presents he made him, which he had brought with him from Jerusalem. And he soon induced him, upon discoursing with him, to leave off his indignation at him, so that Cleopatra's persuasions had less force than the arguments and presents he brought to regain his friendship. For Antony said that it was not good to require an account of a king as to the affairs of his government, for at this rate he could be no king at all, but that those who had given him that authority ought to permit him to make use of it. He also said the same things to Cleopatra, that it would be best for her not busily to meddle with the acts of the king's government. Herod wrote an account of these things, and enlarged upon the other honors which he had received from Antony, how he sat by him at his hearing causes, and took his diet with him every day, and that he enjoyed those favors from him, notwithstanding the reproaches that Cleopatra so severely laid against him, who, having a great desire of his country, and earnestly entreating Antony, that the kingdom might be given to her, labored with her utmost diligence to have him out of the way, but that he still found Antony just to him, and had no longer any apprehensions of hard treatment from him, and that he was soon upon his return with a firmer additional assurance of his favor to him, in his reigning and managing public affairs, and that there was no longer any hope for Cleopatra's covetous temper, since Antony had given her Celesyria instead of what she had desired, by which means he had at once pacified her, and got clear of the entreaties which she made him to have Judea bestowed upon her. When these letters were brought, the women left off their attempt for flying to the Romans, which they thought of while Herod was supposed to be dead, Yet was not that purpose of theirs a secret, that when the king had conducted Antony on his way against the Parthians, he returned to Judea, when both his sister Salome and his mother informed him of Alexandra's intentions. Salome also added somewhat further against Joseph, though it was no more than a calumny, that he had often had criminal conversation with Mariamne. The reason of her saying so was this, that she for a long time bare her ill will, for when they had differences with one another, Mariamne took great freedoms and reproached the rest for the meanness of their birth. 
But Herod, whose affection to Mariamne was always very warm, was presently disturbed at this, and could not bear the torments of jealousy, but was still restrained from doing any rash thing to her, by the love he had for her. Yet did his vehement affection and jealousy, together, make him ask Mariamne by herself about this matter of Joseph. But she denied it upon her oath, and said all that an innocent woman could possibly say in her own defense, so that by little and little the king was prevailed upon to drop the suspicion, left off his anger at her, and being overcome with his passion for his wife, he made an apology to her for having seemed to believe what he had heard about her, and returned her a great many acknowledgments of her modest behavior, and professed the extraordinary affection and kindness he had for her, till at last, as is usual between lovers, they both fell into tears and embraced one another with a most tender affection. But as the king gave more and more assurances of his belief in her fidelity, and endeavored to draw her to a like confidence in him, Mariamne said, Yet was not that command thou gavest, that if any harm came to thee from Antony, I, who had been no occasion of it, should perish with thee, a sign of thy love to me? When these words were fallen from her, the king was shocked at them, and presently let her go out of his arms, and cried out, and tore his hair with his own hands, and said that now he had an evident demonstration that Joseph had had criminal conversation with his wife, for that he would never have uttered what he had told him alone by himself, unless there had been such a great familiarity and firm confidence between them. And while he was in this passion, he had liked to have killed his wife. But being still overborne by his love to her, he restrained this his passion, though not without a lasting grief and disquietness of mind. However, he gave order to slay Joseph, without permitting him to come into his sight. And as for Alexandra, he bound her and kept her in custody as the cause of all this mischief. End of Book 15, Chapter 3 Recording by Bill Mosley, Frellsburg, Texas, U.S.A.